Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. And we are going to talk a lot of Pac-12 and a lot of quarterbacks and Elite 11 uh, with a friend of our podcast, Yogi Roth. He is a former Pittsburgh receiver. He's a former USC assistant coach. And he is currently a Pac-12 announcer, but he also does a lot of work with the Elite 11. So he can he's a man who can speak on many fronts. Yogi, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no, big fan. I love uh, I love listening to everything you guys do, and you know, Bruce known each other for a while. So, um, anytime to talk ball with you guys is a freaking blast. And I kept running into you this spring because I went to a lot of Pac-12 schools, and every every <laughs> every Pac-12 school I showed up at, you were already there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true, man. We're, we've been on the same uh, travel schedule. It's been great. Let's start with with this. So, you worked at USC. You still live in Southern California. Uh, what a difference you know, nine months makes you will go into early October and a lot of people are writing off Clay Helton, the program people think is in a tailspin. And then he doesn't lose the locker room. He inserts Sam Darnold and they go on this roll. They end up and win the Rose bowl. And now a lot of people are thinking Sam Darnold could be first pick in the draft kind of guy. And USC could be preseason top five. Uh, are people getting carried away with the USC hype? We saw this a few years ago when Lane Kiffin was a head coach with Matt Barkley decided to stay, or are you buying this? No, I'm buying it. Uh, and, and I think that every year, you know, and I, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't like to save a lot. Like I'm a minimalistic human, but I like to save like the cover of, of college football preview magazines, like just like one a year, just to see who was on it specifically, obviously since working in the Pac-12 network and you go back and you look and it's always the sexy position, right? It's the QB. And we can go back and look at the year you referenced at SC. You can look at Brett Hundley's year at UCLA when he came back. And we always go after the returning quarterback. And that is the poster child for obvious reasons. Um, but when you look at the truth of a lot of those teams, um, the ones that the teams that have faltered, like the ones we just referenced, they weren't necessarily always built down the middle of their defense. And I look at SC and the reason I think they are worthy of the hype um, is because of that, you know, and I was around there a lot in the spring, you know, Stu and I, we bumped into each other there. I called their spring game on the Pac-12 network and I love the middle of their defense, you know, and I get, they lost DVT, but I think what he did last year or what I believe he did last year was he elevated that position group in that room, much like it's been at Utah the last couple of years, obviously him coming from that culture of kind of a standard in that D line room. And you go and you watch Rasheen Green play this spring, you watch uh, Marlon, Tui Polotu, you know, who's obviously a true freshman, but come in in the standard there. You look at Olawole, Patiku, Porter Gustin, and then, of course, with the linebackers, I think it's Chena Nuosu. Uh, to me, he's preseason. If I had to pick a South defensive player of the year, i pick him. And people don't really know him, but I think he's going to be a first-round draft pick. I think he's a beast. And just continue down the middle of the defense. I think they're built um, to win 
to win their games. If they stay healthy, they'll be favored in every game, regardless of not having a bye. Their first three weeks are at home. Um, all the hype is there. And the two trap games, they're well aware of at Wazoo on a Friday and at ASU Halloween weekend. Uh, I really think this is a team with the maturity of, of Sam and this team. I think the receivers, even though they lost guys, they've got insane playmakers. They can find another corner, which they'll have many, you know, plenty of competition there. Uh, they're going to be fine. And being around Clay, we as a fan base, the world got to see a real-time first-time head coach at a premier institution develop last year. And I think his confidence is awesome. And being around him in the program, I really think they've got an organizational structure that's going to allow this team to have the ability to thrive. So obviously I came away from USC practice very impressed as well. But I also visited Washington. And I think in the, you know, obviously USC beat them and, and you know, gained so much acclaim by the end of last season that it's almost forgotten now that Washington won the Pac-12 and Washington went to the playoff. <laughs> Your impressions, you know, are they are they – are they now looking up at SC or is it more of an even uh, matchup going into this year? I think they both meet both undefeated. I mean, if all things play out with what we know, right. And I think we base projections on what the truth is today, right. We knew their health of both teams today, you know, how they build their programs. And I was just at UW last week, uh, spending time with their team for one of their real life Wednesdays when, uh, you know, Chris Peterson kind of brings in different speakers to talk about, you know, life off the field. And I've been around uh, him for a while now. To me, he is a one percenter, and I put him and how he develops himself, his staff, and his student-athletes beyond the X's and O's, as well as obviously what they do on the field. To me, he's in the realm of Coach Carroll, a guy who obviously spent a lot of time with uh, Bruce, as you referenced earlier. He, it's really unique what they do there um, and how they develop their guys. And again, I go to their defense, and yes, they lost a lot, like they did a couple years ago in their draft, but they're built down the middle. I mean, you look at Greg Gaines, he's a bona fide starter anywhere, probably in the country, at the nose tackle in their, in their defensive scheme. I think Vita Vea is next year's Solomon Thomas, and I've been saying it for about a year now. I, I think his ceiling is insane um, at that type of five technique, depending upon where they can move him around on the defensive front. Um, and then their two linebackers, I think, is the best duo, uh, at least can compete to be the best duo in the country, if not the best, in Keyshawn Gary and Azeem Victor. And Taylor Rapp is probably the most instinctual defensive player in the back end, I think, in the conference right now. Um, extremely underrated. Even though he was the freshman of the year last year, I think that caught people by surprise. Um, even me, I thought it would have been Troy Dye um, at Oregon because of, you know, we heard about Troy really from, from week one. Uh, you know, we called his game on the Pac-12 and he kind of, you know, went off in a way his, his year went. And I just think that they're built that way. They've recruited well. They, I think they developed um, – players like Stanford develops players like Alabama develops players and, and offensively they've got a trigger man. They got skilled players and their offensive line pretty much returns. So I, I think they both meet. I think it's the budding rivalry. I think those two, as well as Stanford are the cream of the crop in the PAC 12 right now. Well, so those are the, the, the powers that we expect them to be. The, to me, one of the more intriguing programs this year is going to be UCLA. Jamora, who had beaten USC, you know, his first three times. Now they're coming off a of four and eight. Everyone knows how much talent Josh Rosen has. You've been around him a lot, especially, you know, back dating back to his Elite 11 days. I know, you know, when I worked on the QB, we talked a lot about Josh um, and all the stuff you liked about him and some of the challenges that, that he's going to present. But also, 
this is going to be year three for him at UCLA, but it's also his third offensive coordinator, his third quarterback coach. Now, I would argue Judd Fish is going to be a really good fit for him. Um, they, he has an NFL background. He worked for Jim Harbaugh the last couple of years. They're even tennis buddies. I mean, Judd Fish was a really good tennis player growing up. Obviously, Josh Rosen was that. Uh, how far like right now what are your questions with ucla football and what do you what do you want to see from josh rosen because it seems like now all the attention in the southern california is all on the other quarterback in town at usc yeah it's an awesome discussion i, I think first and foremost ten thousand feet college football fan i think it was 1988 that was rodney pete and troy aikman right you know so i, I think it's the excitement has never been that at that position. So for us, we're QB nerds. Uh, it's awesome. I mean, it's an entire another book for you if you want to go knock that one out over the next couple months, if you don't mind. Uh, but I'm really excited to, to watch the development. So that, that's that's first and foremost. Secondly, I think so often, and you you touched upon it a lot in your book, is these young quarterbacks that we see with the Elite 11 come up and they are pseudo icons, political figures. They do all the right things, right? They're, they're known in a certain space. And we kind of forget that they're 18, 19, 20, and, and we want them to be one way, and they usually are on the field, but they're still developing a lot off it. And I think for Josh, for him to get a couple months last year suitably off with his injury, right, not being in the spotlight, being able to just literally take a breath and be like, man, what? let me just assess myself for a second. And whether you're Pete Carroll when he got fired or you're Josh Rosen when he got injured, I think it's important to, to take the time to do that. And, and I think he has come back. And obviously, you know, when adversity strikes, you have one of two options. And he's come back and responded from that with a really unique focus. And I think that he gets a lot of slack, um, not a lot of it just, um, not a lot of it uh, accurate in terms of criticism around the type of guy that he is. And I've known him since, you know, you started writing your book and you've got to know him well as well. This is a guy who's a deep thinker. He looks at things differently. And I think even last year with Tua, Tui as his coach and now with Jed, He's been around some unique minds on the offensive side, even going back to Noel Mazzoni. But to your point, Jed is going to be perfect for him because Jed uh, understands the analytical side of that mind, understands, the, if you want to make it easy, the, the tennis mind of Josh, and knows how to talk to him. And I think there's an element of a sense of urgency. There's an element I love what Josh said coming out of spring of, like, I just want to get 1% better every day. And we spent a bunch of time talking about that element and, and that's his focus. And I think it takes time for quarterbacks to, to get there. And I think the progression of a quarterback's mind a lot of times is year one, where is the ball going? Year two is what is the defense doing? And oh my God, all these expectations are on me because I have started for a year and I'm in the face of a program. Put that in LA and you know be a potential number one draft pick. Ten X that thing immediately. Who's who's gonna you know, be perfectly fluid with that process. I don't think anybody. So I think what we we're going to see from Josh is uh, just a more mature young man who's got some time to reflect a little bit. And I think he's going to thrive. And their challenges are on the football side is who's going to catch the ball. You know, do you have a receiver that is going to, you know, eat, you know, make, make teams play specific coverages. I, we haven't seen it yet there. Um, you know, we, I don't know if they have a Robert Woods, right? They don't have a Marquise Lee. I'm excited to see if it's Theo Howard. I think that's a, a, a fair question mark who that team is. But they're probably the most underrated defensive line in the country. Um, I think they're way better than people think of that place. I think they had a future number one draft pick in Jalen Phillips, um, the true freshman who's there this year. 
And I think defensively, they're going to be as good as they've been in a really long time. And Josh is going to make the players around him better. So do they win 10 games? I don't know about that. Uh, but clearly they'll have a much improved season. From Yogi, Yogi, let me ask you. You were a college receiver and you played with two great ones, Larry Fitzgerald and also Antonio Bryan, obviously at different times of your career. Uh, but you were around some really good ones at USC as well. So when Jed Fish gets to – he was the pass game coordinator at Michigan. When he gets there, we didn't know a ton about – the receivers Brady Hoke left behind. And so Amara Darbo and J.U. Chesson really blossomed there. And I think he will get some of the credit for that. Um, Eldridge Massington is a big, big, fast guy. Uh, is he somebody that you think could could have a breakout like those guys did? I mean, you know, because it just seems like, as you were saying, that's the part that's been lacking. You know, a couple of years ago they had Jordan Payton and they had uh, – Trying to remember the Orange County kid who is now with the Dolphins, who was very productive. He was like an H back, but it's like they have they've struggled to find a, a a big receiver, and they have guys who look the part that just hasn't come together. I mean, is he somebody that you think will will be that guy, or or, or where are you looking for them to to find it? I hope so. I mean, you know, we did the drive, which is like the Pac-12 documentary series two years ago, and followed UCLA all season. It was the one year we just did one team, so you got to dive into players and Eldridge, it was him and Brett Hunley. They were like that relationship you expected it to kind of blow up. And that was Jordan Payton's senior year, as you referenced. And it kind of happened. It kind of didn't last year, the entire passing game, really the entire offense disappeared for a variety of reasons, but I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see Alex Van Dyke. I mean, he looks like JJ Stokes from back in the day. I mean, Alex Van Dyke is six, four, two looks the park can do everything. Um, and you're right. You look at that group and okay. Like as a, as a collective group, athletically, they can move, they can drop their hips, they can catch the ball, but we haven't seen anybody have to be a dominant receiver. And it's because early on in that offense, you didn't need that, right? It's why teams, in my opinion, uh, if you want to win eight, nine games, you go to the spread, you get the ball out, you get it out quick and you don't need to have a perennial number one. But when you go to the pro style system, I think you're going to see a hybrid of that this year you need a guy that can win on third down versus press coverage. I mean, let, let's be honest. In the Pac-12 conference where last year teams averaged 39 points per game in wins, the teams that did well defensively are teams that can play man across the board. It's a three-man front league. It's a league where you, against the zone read, against the RPO game, now quick game is run-pass option. And run-pass option is no longer just a bubble screen. Run-pass option is three-step slant game. It is cook-curl-flat game. I mean – it's really evolved. So if you can't play man, you kind of don't, you kind of are going to struggle. Um, so can you beat man is, is the next question. And that's what they're going to have to be able to do. I don't think we've seen it yet where it's like, okay, I'm not worried. Like, you know, this, this guy's going to be able to, to win and dominate a specific corner or win and dominate a specific element of the game. I haven't seen it just yet. Uh, but the thing is with Josh, as you know, he's going to make them all better. And the standard has been risen for obvious reasons. Um, the urgency is there for obvious reasons, and, and I expect it. You know, they got Jimmy Doherty, a uh, new receiver coach, so see what happens there with his development. You know, we, we saw him at UW. You saw him, obviously, at San Jose State when he's the OC there, then at Michigan, and now he's back here. I know his, you know, expectation is really high, just like their, their previous receiver coaches now at the Rams, but they gotta, they've got to be impressive there, and there's no reason why UCLA can't attract some of the top receivers in the country based in Los Angeles. They're going to recruit quarterbacks. The quarterback recruit they have coming in this year is awesome. 
um, uh, coming out of Bishop Gorman High School. So I, I don't know. To me, that is, that's the biggest question mark. Um, and it's one that I think is worthy of, of questioning because you just haven't seen it. But who's the guy? I look at Jordan Lasley, Darren Andrews. They were, they to me, impressed in spring. And if they can get some big production out of the two big guys in Massington and Van Dyke, then, then they'll be all right. Yo, you, my last Pac-12 question for you would be, you know, I agree with you that uh, USC, Washington, Stanford are the, the class of the conference going into the season. But, you know, a year ago, nobody would have guessed Colorado would rise up and win 10 games. Who's got the, to you, who's got the feel of a possible breakthrough or surprise team this year? Well, I don't think they win 10 games, but I think Oregon State goes to a bowl game. I mean, I love what Gary Anderson has done. I mean, if he's at Wisconsin for one more year, you can make a pretty solid argument that he's getting offered the SC job. Maybe he's up for the Texas. Like, he, he's up for huge jobs. Um, I think he's that type of guy, and he wanted to fit in Corvallis, and I think it's perfect for him. I called a bunch of their games last year, and you look at the young players on defense that played specifically at the outside back position. Again, I go to this three, four team and, and a fun example is Travis Feeney. If you remember him, he, he's a great example of what the PAC 12 has become defensively. He's a guy who was recruited at safety. He was big, tall, lanky, moves down to backer. Then he moves to basically rush end, you know, to finish his career. So you can have guys in your three, four scheme that can rush on third down. They can drop if they need to, when you're bringing opposite field pressures and that's what Oregon State has defensively. They were forced last year to play, I think, five true freshman outside backer type people. And and they're good. I mean, they're really athletic. They do a nice job there. Um, and offensively, they can just get the production necessary in this conference from the quarterback position. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Luden, who was their JC transfer from Ventura uh, College down here, uh, he was there, Jake Luden, in spring. Um, he's all of six foot five. He's a transfer from Idaho state. And to me, he's a bona fide. He's got all the tools to be a bona fide passer in the pac 12. And as well as some of the receivers they brought in, I think that they can win six games. I can see them starting off four and Um, you know, if they can steal one at Wazoo, which is, you know, a team that don't really know uh, what they'll be. I expect them to do well as well, but I think a breakthrough team, is Oregon State, and it's going to be fun to see what happens in that state because the Oregon brand is so hot. We obviously see how they're recruiting right now, but their personnel, um, I think, is going to have the Ducks struggling a little bit this year. So it'll be fun to kind of watch that element play, and does it become a national narrative um, if Gary Anderson can get this team back to a bowl game? I'm going to shift gears. We mentioned the Elite 11 is coming up. It'll be uh, June 2nd through the 4th in Southern California, right? Um, you will be working it and helping coach there. I'm curious, though, before we get into some of these quarterbacks who you alluded to, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who's heading to UCLA, but I wanted to ask you, a couple of years ago at this time, I think it was three years ago at this time, USC has two kids committed. One kid is a three-star guy. That kid turns out to be Sam Darnold, the Heisman guy. The other one's a five-star guy, Ricky Town. And, you know, we talked a lot in my book about Ricky and, you know, it was a lot of up and down. He finished out very nicely at the Elite 11, goes to USC, doesn't work out well, ends up transferring, ends up at Arkansas. Now he's at a junior college. I think he's at Ventura College. Um, Knowing how fickle the recruiting process is, especially with the rating system, how do you approach it as somebody who knows the kids and is hands on with the kids and also – you know, you know, you're dealing with with 17 year olds who are really in a spotlight that was very different than maybe it was through social media, you know, 
10 years ago when you were coaching? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and we, there, there's a lot of examples like that, that, that we kind of see around the country. You know, you look at even like, uh, Jeff Lindquist and Silent Miles, you know, I always look at it when like two players are going to the same university, you know, of, of, okay, why, why is that happening? What's the depth chart? Coaches know that only one's going to play. The kids know that only one's going to play. Um, you kind of know that one is either going to transfer or just maybe get a year or basically be on the bench. Right. Um, to me, the, the underlying element of this, when I look at recruiting is now all of a sudden we're adding the early signing period, which I'm totally for, but while we add these elements, we're not, um, making changes to the evaluation process in terms of coaches in basketball can go to Vegas and watch a kid play the head coach can go sit on the stands and watch him play in a tournament in volleyball. I can literally coach a club team about a, you know, with a high school student athlete prospect that I'm recruiting to my respective university in college football. I can't even go to elite 11. I can get one workout and I can get a couple workouts I want in May, but I can't really talk to the kid. So I'm not really getting to know him as well as I am. And my point is that like the, the evaluation process is kind of skewed and you got to get on guys really early. So that that's first and foremost. Then we look at the reality of Ricky town um, and I look at almost the Tate Martell element of they were both offered at 14 years old, right? So Ricky Town as a sophomore is dubbed, I think, number one or two quarterback in the country. It was him and Josh kind of flip-flop, and he commits to Alabama with Doug Nussmeyer. Flips obviously ends up going to SC and transfers after um, not even in an entire calendar year. Um, so my point is that he was developed at 15 years old, way more so than Sam Darnold was. So coaches got on him, and they offered him. And what happened? Well, his football development – hit a pseudo, I don't want to say ceiling, but slow down. And Sam's, we all saw it ramping up when we saw him at the Oakland Elite 11 Regional. I can remember looking at Trent and saying, this is Andrew Luck. You know, and he had one offer, and it was Utah at the time. And his high school coach, I'll never forget, Jaime Ortiz calling me saying, just, just look at this guy. I think he's going to be really special. He got injured last year and, you know, in, the, in the football season. Take a look. And it was a no-brainer. You know, and you knew that, uh, you knew what his ceiling was. You knew his acumen as a competitor. You, you kind of if you were around him and you were, and I was, you, you're not surprised by what's happening by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I would give Steve Sarkeesian the credit when he signed him, he pulled me aside and, I, and he said, I think he's going to be in New York twice, once for the Heisman and once for the draft. And it, it, he's, he, I think he's accurate, you know? Um, anyway, on that note, I just think that it's, it's hard to nail it on quarterback recruits when you're on them so early because they've developed so early and you got to hope the development continues and these other kids are developing later. So I'm really uniquely uh, paying attention to this early signing period, specifically around that position and when kids commit early, how they commit. And then of course, how they develop as their careers go on in just high school, let alone projecting their bodies and their mental makeup when they get to college. Well, a lot of these guys you'll be seeing next week are, are like you said, they're early commits. Um, I'm looking down the list of quarterbacks. They're all, Almost all of them have already picked a school. Who are you maybe most looking forward to, you're most curious about or most looking forward to seeing the, uh, at Elite 11? Yeah, I'm pumped, man. I mean, this is kind of our favorite time of the year um, because we get to, you know, obviously get intimately involved with these young men. Uh, I, I'm excited to see Justin Fields. I think he's, I mean, I was looking back this, and I'm, you know, from Pennsylvania, as kind of Bruce referenced earlier, played a pit, and I can't think of a quarterback prospect that committed to Penn State. Obviously, Hackenberg was huge, but I don't know if there's a better prospect coming out of high school that they signed in, I don't know, 15, 20 years. 
you know, I mean, realistically, I mean, if you look back at the roster and players that have gone there, it was like Anthony Morelli back in my day, right? I'm pretty sure that's who it was. who was like a huge recruit, but Justin Fields is a special dynamic player. I mean, not only is he freaky talented, um, gifted as an athlete, gifted as a passer, but he's a four Oh, he's probably going to be drafted in baseball. Um, really grounded home life. I mean, he's got a lot of tools that I think are going to allow him uh, to thrive when he gets there. I can't wait to get around him. Um, of course, you look at, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence. Um, gosh, you just watch him and you, and you see how big he is at 6'6", six, six, you know, over 200 pounds. And then you get to know him a little bit. And he really is diving into the, the how and the why of how, how do I become this 360-degree quarterback? And, and I say that term and, and it's going to be huge for us at Elite 11 this year is a reminder that these kids now in this day and age they get so much exposure they get written in Bruce's book they get 30 you know 30,000 social media followers but they aren't necessarily taught the how in terms of how do I trust myself how do I lead how do I obviously the football side is a, is a huge part of it and, and that's what I'm most excited for those two guys and, and a bunch of others Emory Jones uh, being one Ohio State commit really stoked to watch these guys go through our development process in only a couple of days, but we stress them so much on the field, but really way more so off the field. I mean, the tools they're going to get this year, elite 11, you'll be able to watch it. We'll talk about it on Facebook live all week long at the elite 11 page. And this the show is going to air on NFL network this year. I think it's six 30 minute shows kind of starting late summer into September. And you're going to be jacked about the stuff that we'll do with, our high performance psychologist, Mike Gervais, the special guests we bring in around high performance around manhood with Alexis Jones and the protector program that we've been a part of for a couple of years and, and help get off, get, get going. And, and, you know, my big thing with this, with this class and all these classes is helping them find their voice because I think it's the biggest thing that gets lost. And the biggest thing that gets overlooked is we expect them to be something, but we don't teach them to get to know themselves. You know, they think they're supposed to act a certain way. They think they're supposed to talk a certain way because that's what that position you know, often reflects. Um, and the reality is that they, they don't necessarily get to know who they are. So we'll talk this year a ton around the mastery of their voice and learning what it is and take them through a bunch of exercise to help them get there. Um, so when it does get hard and heavy and difficult, they can, they can deal with it. Cause the reality is now, and my analogy is that five years ago, coming out of high school, you were on the 20th floor of a high rise. And at some point, the fall from the 20th floor to the ground is going to be hard. But now, because of all the love and because of all the commitment videos and all the stuff that's associated with recruiting, you're on the 40th floor. And you're going to fall because the game gets taken away from all of us at some point. But now the fall is way harder. So it's on us as coaches, um, even if it's a small window, uh, to make sure we're preparing them. That's what I love about you know the Pac-12 specifically. And you guys are around the country a lot more than I am. But the way that the David Shaws, the Chris Petersons, the Jim Moore, the Clay Helms, all the coaches really across the board, how they're teaching these kids to utilize football, to help them in other areas of life when the game's over to me has like increased probably five times what it was five years ago. And the education is trying to be provided to these kids, how to utilize football to give themselves a career off the field when it's all said and done is five times what it was five years ago. And, and we hopefully, uh, you know, add to that a little bit. And, and those are a couple of guys that I'm, that I'm jacked to get involved in the football side, but really more so the things off the field. Just one other question for you on these kids. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence. He's committed to Clemson. Uh, last year, they had a, a tall, athletic kid, Hunter Johnson. A lot of people thought he might have been the top quarterback in that signing class. 
How similar from what you've seen Trevor on film, you obviously worked with Hunter before, uh, are they pretty comparable in terms of what you see? As prospects? Uh, nah, nah, I don't know. I mean, I think they're both, they're both uniquely gifted. Like I always like doing the thing where it's like, okay, you're going to take a couple of these quarterbacks in each class. Like, who do you think like really could play in the NFL? You know, and the way that we define success at 11 is who has the ability to dominate the next level or levels. So college, maybe you're not a insane passer, um, but you can, you know, you can dominate if you go to say Ohio state and operate in their system or whatever it may be, where maybe that's not the premium um, or you got this high ceiling and you're an NFL player. And Hunter Johnson was that for sure. And I looked last year, it was like Tua, Hunter, um, I look at uh, Miles Brennan, Jack Sears, and Dylan McCaffrey. You know, out of that group, and uh, and and Davis Mills. You know, I was like, man, these guys. If I was gonna put, you know, my hat on it, who are NFL real NFL prospects? Like those are the guys that uh, really stood out to me. Um, Hunter was in that group for sure. Uh, Trevor, he, he, the thing that makes him so unique is that he's such a winner. You know, uh, he's 15 and 0 last year. Wins a state title. His completion percentages is pretty high. Obviously he's special in terms of all the little things he can do in terms of his size and his, his ability to, to make all the catalog of throws. Uh, but what I love about him is that for a big guy, he's comfortable athletically in his body. You know, like a lot of times big guys, you watch them and my note is always, yeah, they've got great arm. They could, they can make all the throws, but still growing into their body, ex- excited to see if they can transition just the entire body in terms of literally your toes to your fingertips he can do that right now. Um, he's going to be a special player. And, and I love that. And I love that he's going to a place where there's another special player. And last year, Clemson brought in two quarterbacks. They both were in the elite 11. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, what, what happens when you win a national championship and you're on that stage. So I, I, I'm excited for the competition. I would say that Trevor Lawrence, I had to say whose ceiling was higher coming out of high school. Um, I think I'd say his, you know, he's, he's just a guy that I, I don't see a lot of guys like him in my nine years of doing the Elite 11 where they have the size and can put together the athleticism and the suddenness. I, I, like I'm looking at my notes now on my film eval, and it was, it was unique traits, suddenness. I mean, that really is what stood out in my notes where I couldn't find a flaw. You know, I think he's a super elite player, and uh, each year I think there's a couple of them. Good thing for Clemson is they got two of them back-to-back. A lot of these, a lot, I'm looking at the list, a lot of these guys are going to be, if they stick to their commitments, they're going to be following, or four or five star guys who are following another four or five star. I mean, Tate Martell was one of the most hyped quarterback recruits in the last class going to Ohio State. Now Emory Jones will come in after him. Um, Bruce, anything else? No, I think, Yogi, I think you, you gave us a really good primer on what fans can can keep an eye out for especially for the content uh for elite 11 it's always good to uh kind of dig into some some of the pac 12 stuff for people who uh can follow you on twitter i encourage them to it it's just at yogi roth uh how else uh how else would you like to to uh connect with with some of the listeners yeah thanks man yeah that that uh that's easy that's great um, I'll tell you what, what, a quick story that was pretty fun for me this offseason you guys would love is I went over to Israel and I saw and spent a bunch of time in the Israeli Football League, which is a real thing. And it's owned by Robert Kraft. And I just did a documentary series that came out online. Um, you could see it. Uh, you can find it anywhere on, on social media. It's on my pages, um, you know, on social or whatever. But it was really cool to see this uh, 
game that we always see is basically enclosed in the U.S. exploding around the world. And it was awesome. It was men's, women's, tackle, flag. You know, I had a mom and a daughter played on the same team. We, you know, especially in Israel, as you guys know, like you go to the military, um, and there was players who came out of the military and now were coming to the U.S. on scholarship to come play college football. I mean, there was some really radical stories uh, to be able to dive into it. And, and I always say that when we get into the game of recruiting and there's, there's so much competition, uh, but we go back to the root of that word, and this is what I learned when I was at SC with Pete, was the root of the word compete is to strive together. And there's this amazing game, and I like the phrase, we all speak ball. That, that's the title of the doc series. That I love the Elite 11 when we can put two quarterbacks they're going to the same school in the same room together. I love when you take, you know, we're going to have 24 guys are going to be competing to make the elite 11 and be the MVP and be known as a dude because they're all hyper alpha competitive dudes, but they recognize that this position group can influence a lot of people. And I, and going to Israel and doing this documentary series was pretty cool to just recognize that in one of the holiest yet conflicted places on the planet, they've got a team with a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, an Arab, and they're all there because they love the power of play. And I think for us as football nerds and, and your audience, obviously loving football, um, it's a really cool thing to kind of take a look back on and be like, as hyper-competitive as we are with our, our conferences and our teams and our rivalries and even our quarterback jockeying, um, we do get to celebrate the greatest team sport on the planet. Well, that's good. So people can check that out online and obviously they can follow you on on Pac-12 Network's games. So Where yeah, we you, should mention, oh, we're so rude, we didn't mention this right off the top. The Pac-12 Network just announced your multi-year extension. Oh, yeah, thanks, man. I, uh, I, I couldn't be more stoked on it. I think that fans are uh, really excited about you know, going to places where they can get a deep dive on their team. Um, and for me, being at the Pac-12, I've never been around a more creative group in terms of allowing me that creative freedom to do things like to drive the documentary series, to call games with Ted Robinson, who I think is the best play-by-play guy in the business is on his way to the French open and, and to allow us to continue to celebrate the game and coach the viewer. Um, I, I love it there. It's a great place. And to watch us keep growing. I mean, you guys see it, um, you know, at FS one and kind of how you saw that thing kind of get going. It's, it's fun to be part of something special like that. And I know I speak on behalf of all my colleagues and we're a jack to keep going. And, you know, for us, if you want, you know, content on the pac 12, uh, we like to think that, you know, we're the place we're going to give you the deepest dive on all teams, all things, uh, pac 12 football. And, and have a freaking blast doing it, man. Before we let you go, Yogi, I want to put you on the spot on one thing. And you cannot okay. dance. You have to give <laughs> us a direct answer, a short, direct answer. So last okay. uh, last week, Stu and I went over this. We are part of this panel that picked the top 50 college football players of the last 50 years. You room with Larry Fitzgerald. You were on a coaching staff where you had both Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush. Were you there with Carson, too? Or was Carson right before you? No, he was before me. Okay, so that's easy. He's out. Uh, but so well, you got two Heisman winners, and you got your roommate Larry Fitzgerald. Maybe you go off the board, and you can say Mike Williams. I don't care. Who is the best college football player you've ever been around? Chris McCaffrey. Ha-ha. Really? Christian okay, Yogi. Yeah. Yeah. I was Chris the McCaffrey. only. And I, I was the only voter in the Athlon this Athlon project that had him in my fifty best players of the past fifty years. Yeah, so I'll jump on the bandwagon and I'll take a shot at all those with all due respect. <laughs> but, you know, Larry was, I've never in my life been around anybody who can 
sight a ball and use their body to, to make stupid, stupid plays. I mean, he was like a center fielder. You know, the ball comes off the bat. He knew where it was going to land, and he would screw with the DB, slow down, speed up, slow down, and then make a fingertip catch and laugh about it. I mean, no, I've never seen better hands in my life. Antonio Bryant was probably the best receiver I've ever been around in terms of being able to drop his hips, make plays. I bet Larry would tell you that as well. He thought Antonio was, was even a better receiver than him in terms of what he could do with his body. Reggie was the best competitor I've, I've been around in terms of how he practiced. Matt, he's to this day, and you guys work with him, the coolest human I've ever been around. I mean, he just had this aura about him that got you to lean in and you believe you could do anything. But Christian, pound for pound, to me, he's the best football player I've ever been around. We saw it last year at the opening. He came up with all the top receivers in the country. He ran out better than every one of them murdered the DBs when he went against them. You watch him at running back and you study him. It's why he climbed the draft chart. He plays in between the tackles. You watch the burst, the one-cut ability. It's very similar to Reggie. You watch him in pass protection. He's a freak. And more importantly, he elevates everyone around him with his standard. Uh, I don't even think, like, I don't even, I didn't even flinch in my answer. And we're talking about Hall of Fame players and Larry Fitzgerald, um, Reggie Bush, arguably the greatest running back to play in, you know, my lifetime. Uh, but to me, Christian is the best overall football player. And I'll go back to one antidote on it. When I was at SC, we'd sit in recruiting meetings. Pete would always say, who would I take in the backyard? And that's how sometimes as silly as that sounds. That's how we would make decisions in recruiting. Like, would you take this guy? if You're going to go play in the backyard. And I look at Christian and I say, it ain't even close. He's the first guy I would take. I think he's going to play for 10, 12 years. Um, and I've never met a, a human being that driven before, that humble before, and a kid who really gets it. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a Hall of Famer. I really would. Wow, Yogi, you ended with a bang. Man, <laughs> that was I a drop the mic to... ending. That was yeah. good. Well, I... I, when you get to know the athletes, and again, I go back to the Pac-12 conference, like or the Pac-12 network, like you're so embedded sometimes that you get to see things beyond the football field and what their makeup is, and you're around their parents and their family, and obviously with him being around Dylan at eleven and his folks and seeing how he literally sees the game and. Knowing Coach Shaw and Mike Bloomgren, you know, his running back coaches. I mean, he, he's a different cat, man, and I just wouldn't sleep on him. And I think he uh, – a lot of great players. Gail Sayers, obviously, one of them that he kind of compared the skill set to. But I just think he's a difference maker that I've ever been around. All right, Yogi, thank you very much for joining us. That was good stuff. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys, thank you. All right, thank All right, you. see you.